Thanks for joining us online today. If you'd like to join the conversation, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope that you'll enjoy this message. I'm telling you, we are going to look back years from now and say that was a weekend that changed everything for Next Level Church, and not just because of the Dream Center announcement, which is so exciting. Can't wait for you to just hear more and more about it and and updates and all of that, which will be coming. But this weekend is going to be powerful for another reason, and that is because my friend, Pastor Brady Boyd, is with us from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Pastor Brady is the lead pastor of New Life Church, a phenomenal multi-site church in the Colorado Springs area. And uh, Brady has been out there for over almost nine Nine years now. Over nine. Over nine years now. And uh, just so excited, so thankful for your friendship, Pastor Brady, to me and to Sarah, to to our church. And you guys, Pastor Brady, uh, not only is the lead pastor of that church, a phenomenal church, but is an author. His new book, Speak Life, just came out a few weeks ago. We have those in all three of our foyers, so make sure you get those uh, at your location as well. But Pastor Brady has a heart for the house, and he has a heart for the hurting and the broken of the city of Colorado Springs yeah. and, and of our world. Yes. And so, Pastor Brady, I believe it's so strategic that you are here this weekend, and I believe God has put a word in your heart for us. So next level, come on, lean in, get ready, because God's up to something amazing. Put your hands at every location, put them together for Pastor Brady Boy. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Pastor Matt. Hey, man, hey, good to be with you this weekend. So good to be with you. I love your pastor. I think, <laughs> you cannot be discouraged and be around Matt and Sarah both. Is that right? I mean, come on. I always have a, the word of the Lord is for them decaf, right? But then we, <laughs> I love them. I told Pam, I was like, you know what? I, I need to go to Fort Myers more often just to get Matt and Sarah to speak to me and encourage me. Y'all have good pastors. And on, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, can we just say thank you for the pastors the Lord has sent you? All across your staff. I love you guys. I love them so much. They have been to our church at, in Colorado Springs. Our church loves them. And we always are grateful when we get to be together as friends. And it takes a long time to become old friends, doesn't it? And so we should cherish. It does. That's, that's the revelation to some of us, right? It takes a long time. And so once you find someone that's truly a friend, then you should cherish that. And then maybe that's a word for some of you this week during the holidays is to make an extra effort to make sure you spend time and invest in those key relationships the Lord has given you. And I believe Matt and Sarah are key relationships for my wife and I. Pam and I have been married 27 semi-glorious years. It's been amazing. She's my best friend. She's back in Colorado. It snowed at our house on Thursday. So I feel like a snowbird because I came here as soon as it snowed. Is that okay? Is that a bad term to say snowbird? Okay, all right. I feel like one. I'm glad to be here with you in this 
We went out and got some sunshine, vitamin D. I love that. You don't have to shovel sunshine, someone told me today. I didn't appreciate that at all. <laughs> all right, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and it is an honor to be here. We have dream centers in Colorado Springs as well. We have an apartment complex for homeless single moms and their kids. It's completely full right now. Uh, we're so blessed. We have a state-of-the-art medical clinic that we run in our city. Thousands of women have received life-saving, state-of-the-art, free medical care in our city. We are uh, so I was grateful to see what the Lord's doing with you here. My heart just leaps inside of me when the Lord begins to provide buildings so that we can be salt and light. Buildings are important, right? Spaces, locations are important. And I'm just going to pray the Lord's going to provide everything you need for the Dream Centers. I'll speak that over that right now. You're going to have all that you need. There will be a time, let me say this, there will be a day when Pastor Matt will stand before you and say we have enough, that we don't, you don't have to give to the Dream Centers, we have enough for right now. That's the, how much the Lord's going to provide for this, I believe that. And uh, that's going to be exciting. That's biblical as well, that we don't, the pastor shouldn't always have to ask for money, because the Lord's going to provide, because this is his heart to reach your city. And this message I have today, uh, I did not know this was going to be announced. And so I love how the Holy Spirit uh, seems to live in Colorado and visit Florida regularly. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. God lives in Colorado, but he comes here a lot. A lot. He spends a lot of time down here, so I just want you to know that. But I love how he orchestrates things, how he brings things together. So I, wanna, I want to share with you this weekend, in my opinion the most important story that Jesus ever told. The most important story. Now, we know that Jesus spoke in parables, stories. And some of them are, all of them are fascinating. But tonight, this weekend, I am going to share the most important story Jesus ever told. And he's going to answer for us one of the most important questions that we will ever have answered in our lives. And all of this is found in Luke chapter 15. So let me ask you this question. This is the most important question that you will ever have answered for you. It's an important question to ask. Very few people know how to accurately answer this question, though. So here's the question. You need to write it down, or at least make note of it this weekend. What does God think about you? Do you think God has an opinion about you? Do you think God knows who you are? And it's one thing to know who you are. It's a different question altogether to ask, what does God think of me then? Well, let me, let me ask this a, a little deeper question. A much deeper form of this question is this. If God knows who I am and God cares about me deeply, loves me even, that's a big word, it's overused in our culture, but does, if God truly loves me, here's an even deeper question. Does God love me when I'm at my worst? Or does God's love depend upon my good behavior? Now this is, this, those are fascinating questions. Questions that will, if you answer these questions correctly, it would allow you to have a full, rich life following God. If you cannot answer those questions accurately, then your ability and even your desire to follow God will be greatly limited. This is why Jesus tells us the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. There are actually three stories in Luke 15. Lost coins, lost sheep, and the story of a lost son. 
The story of a single dad who had two grown sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to the dad one day and says, listen, dad, you're not dying quick enough. This is really what he said in the culture of the day. He says, Dad, you're taking good care of yourself. I thought you'd be dead a long time ago, but you're living really well. You're exercising, you're working out, you're eating good, and you're not going anywhere, and I'm not going to stay around and wait for you to die for me to go live my life. So I want you to give me the money that you would normally... I would normally get this money after you died, but you're going to live a lot longer than I thought, so would you just please give me the money up front that you're going to owe me anyway... And I'm going to go on and be going about my life, and I'm going to let my brother take care of you in your old age. He'll bury you. I'm not going to be around for any of that. Now, I want you to just think there for a moment. That's shocking to hear that story. That's a story in the Bible, by the way. And I bet if you don't have a Bible, they'll give you one. It's full of great stories. It's amazing stories in the Bible. This is a story Jesus told, a parable. And this son, arrogant, cocky, and proud, says to his father, I'm leaving, and there's nothing you can do about it. And the father is brokenhearted that the son even says this to him. Because you'll find out later, this is not a bad man. This is not an abusive father. This is not an angry, vengeful, abusive father who mistreated his son. You're going to see this later in the story. So the father is brokenhearted that his son is leaving the family. In essence, the son is choosing to be an orphan choosing to be an orphan, choosing to separate himself from the family and go about his own way, living his own life. And the father gives him money, and apparently it's a lot of money. The son takes the money and goes to a distant city, the Bible tells us, and wastes it there on, on sinful living. And as soon as the money runs out, his friends run out. Anyone ever had that happen to you? So the money's gone, his friends are gone. And the Bible says that for a young Jewish boy, he finds himself in the worst possible situation. No food, no shelter, working on a pig farm. Now, I don't know if you have pig farms in southwest Florida, but let me just tell you this. It is one of the most terrible places on the earth. A pig farm, there's nothing worse smelling than a pig farm. It is awful, nastiness. And, and although bacon is great, pig farms are terrible. I'm just telling you. I don't know how bacon comes from that location, but it does. It's amazing. It's a miracle of nature. So this young boy finds himself in the most non-kosher of environments, a pig farm, raising pigs, no food for his belly. And listen to this. All right, we're going to start it now in verse 17. All of you with teenagers, you're going to love this next statement. All the teenagers in the room, please forgive me, okay? I'm not making fun of you. I'm just stating a fact, all right? So this is verse 17. When he came to his senses, all the teenagers gave me the, gla- the glare, the glow, yeah. All the adults went, amen, really quietly, because you don't want to aggravate them right now. You've got them calm and quiet. So when he came to his senses, I have two teenagers, 18 and 16, so they love me. He said to the Lord, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. So suddenly he realizes that what he left was more valuable than he thought. He says, I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, now, every teenager in the room, including myself, we have rehearsed speeches to tell our parents after bad things have happened to the car or to the house or something, right? Confession's good for the soul at all the campuses this weekend. Would you please raise your hand with me if you have rehearsed a speech to tell your parents? Come on. This is the most dishonest, 
congregation. I'm going to give you one more chance because the Lord will love you if you'll be confessing, right? You have rehearsed the speech on the way home to tell your parents. Quivering lip, crocodile tears. You know how to make this work, right? All right, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to rehearse the speech. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. Now, that's very important to, to hear today because we have lost somehow in the American church the beauty of repentance. This entire story starts with a broken young man realizing he had made a mistake and admitting to God and to himself that he had failed. And he was rehearsing a speech, and we can have fun with that, but the, the serious matter of this story is there, here's a young man that was truly broken and truly repentant. His father, I have sinned. I have failed you. I have failed you greatly. I've sinned against heaven and against you. So not only did he recognize this, this sin against his dad, the father, the relationship, but he also realized he had violated God. And oftentimes when we repent, we have to get both of those matters right. I want you to really see this. This is all extra, okay? This is free of charge, what I'm about to give you. But when you repent, we say to the Lord, Father in heaven, I have failed you. I have not lived up to what you've called me to live. And Father, I know I have offended other people. So it's vertical and horizontal. Repentance is always vertical and horizontal. It's repenting before the Lord and asking him for help with the people that you've hurt. It's two kinds of repentance, and it's a work in tandem. And this son somehow had discovered, Father, I've sinned against you and against my dad. Listen to what he says. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy. Now this is where things go wrong in the son's thinking. I'm no longer worthy, he says. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Here's what happens when you vertically confess to the Lord that you're sinned and you horizontally begin the process of making things right with the people around you. The enemy comes and wants to shame you into stopping both. Shame stops us from repenting. Shame stops us in our tracks. Shame is a powerful motivational tool that the enemy knows how to wield and to use. Shame is the enemy's attempt to stop this from happening. So the son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I want you to see what's wrestling in the son's heart today. He's wrestling with identity. He's wrestling with how the father is going to see him. Remember, I asked you some questions at the beginning of his sermon. This is the most important story asking one of the most important questions that we could ever ask. And my deeper question was, does God love you? Okay, well, we can all maybe say yes to that. He knows who I am. He loves me. But what about when I've really messed up? What about when I have made terrible mistakes? He says, I'm going to go, I'm not, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he gets up and he starts walking toward his father. He begins the long, painful, shameful journey back to his dad. There's three things going on here that I want to just point out to you. If you could write these down. I think this weekend is going to start some great conversations between you and your kids. As I said earlier, I have a son who is 18 years old. I have a daughter who is 16. She just turned 16 this week. They're both adopted. They're just a joy to their mom and I. We just, they're just really good teenagers. They're just amazing young men and women. And I, um, I am aware of parenting 
I've made some terrible mistakes as a, as a dad. I've, I've gotten a lot of things right, but I've made some mistakes, like all of us have in the room. And these things are, what I'm about to share with you are things that I'll, I share with my kids. Because I think the Father in Heaven wants to share them with His kids today, okay? So I'm going to share this with you. There's three ideas that we wrestle with when we find ourselves in these places of darkness and despair. What we believe we need and what we wish many times for other people is we wish for justice. And justice is getting exactly what we deserve. Now, we're Americans, land of liberty. You know, we believe in justice, liberty and justice for all. We like superhero movies where the villain gets captured in the end. The superhero flies off with the, with the pretty girl at the end. That's a, an American idea of justice. Everybody, getting, everybody following the law. Everybody following the rules. If you break the rules, you get in trouble. If you follow the rules, you win and succeed. That's our American idea of justice. It's just not the total picture of who God is. This son went home expecting justice. The son's walking home expecting to get what he deserved. What he was hoping for was mercy. And mercy is not getting what we deserved. He was hoping maybe the dad will have mercy on me and I won't be as punished as severely as I deserve. I'll get some punishment, but maybe I'll catch the dad on a good day. Maybe the dad won't be so mad. Maybe he will be rested that day. Maybe his team would win. And maybe he won't be so upset. Maybe I'll catch dad in a good mood. And my kids know how to work me on that, right? You know, so my kids know if LSU wins, it's a good time to ask dad for things. If LSU loses like they did like a half, you know, this weekend, then um, it's not a good time to ask dad for stuff. (laughs) Justice and mercy. Those are our two ideas of God. What Jesus tells us in this story is a third thing, though. It just sounds too good to be true. It wasn't justice that the son got. And it wasn't mercy. It was grace. And grace is getting a gift that we can never deserve. Grace is getting a gift that you cannot pay back. Grace is getting a gift that sounds way too good to be true. And we all know this. I am the chief cynic among you. If it sounds too good to be true, we are instinctively taught to believe that. I mean, have you ever watched those, those infomercials, those two or three minute infomercials that pop up on the, in the worst times on, on television? And they tell you about this amazing thing that will cut through copper wiring and shave you and all these things, you know, all these, these amazing things that are out there. And, and my kids, we have a little fun at our house because when it gets to the very end, I say, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Because they always get to the very end. They said, but wait, there's more. If you order today and today only, by the way, we will, say it, double your offer. I said, can you imagine those poor souls that dialed early in the commercial? How terrible they must feel right now. If they had only waited, they would have gotten twice as much for their money. And so we all know what it feels like to be duped, taken advantage of. This is why grace doesn't make any sense. Justice makes plenty of sense to us. You break the rules, you pay for, the, you pay for it. Mercy, nah, we, can, we can make sense of mercy. You know, you get off. Maybe it was a 10-year sentence, you only got five years. Maybe you should have been grounded a month. You were only grounded two weeks. Okay, that's mercy. We can make sense of that. But to get a gift 
to be given a gift when we deserve death, to be given life instead of death, that makes no sense to us. To be fully pardoned? What? Let me, let's read the story. Verse 20. He says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Now, this is a fascinating part of the story because now Jesus switches the narrative. We're no longer seeing things through the eyes of the son in this story. The first half of the story, you're seeing the whole story through the eyes of the son. His story, his narrative, his viewpoint. Now, we switch, and now we're in the viewpoint of the dad. Now, who's Jesus talking to here? Can I give you some, this is a little Bible history to this story. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a group of Jewish people, scribes, scholars, common working people, but all Jewish people, who had been called out of Egypt, saved from Pharaoh, taken across the Red Sea, planted firmly in the promised land with a set of rules that God had given them and said, listen, if you'll follow me, I'll be your God. If you'll follow my rules, I'll be your God. And if you will be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. And of course, Israel makes a mess of that. So much of a mess that when Jesus arrives, they're occupied by the Roman centurion army, the army of Rome, and they are being violent to the people of Israel. And Jesus is telling this story of a father welcoming back a wayward son. Who is the son in this story? The entire nation of Israel. Who's the father? God. And now I think it begins to dawn on those people listening to the story who Jesus is talking about. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. I don't know about you, but uh, I like my vehicle that I drive. I am kind of particular. And I can't imagine, and my kids are learning to drive right now. They're both are getting their driver's license as I speak. So my prayer life has never been better. <laughs> never been better. We were just sharing these stories earlier with Pastor Matt and Pastor Sarah about our teenagers learning to drive. Uh, it is just a, an amazing uh, ability to learn to pray and to intercede and not yell and curse in front of your kids. I mean, it's an amazing gift and talent to teach your kids to drive. And I, uh, if they were to bring my vehicle back to me broken, I, I don't think I would, I think I'd be standing over the old, you ever had the old arms folded, tapping of the foot, dad waiting for you? You have some explaining to do. The glare. My dad had the, the, the scariest glare. It was almost like Superman penetrating with his eyes through your soul. My dad could look right into me and tell me, and his arm, I can see my dad even now, arms folded over his belly. He could just rest it right there. He had the perfect size belly to rest his arms on, like Buddha. Think redneck Buddha. It's truly. <laughs> His father was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. Now, this is a dad, and everyone that had heard this story would know this part of the story. We, don't, we wouldn't understand this, but the Jewish people hearing it would. This is the man that owned property. This is the man that had hired hands already working for him. This is the man who would have sat at the city gates and would have been one of the elders of the city. He doesn't run to you. You come to him. And this is a, a type and a shadow of Jesus saying, 
Jesus said, this is what has just happened in front of you. The incarnation of which we're about to go into the season of Advent in, in the church calendar is the story of an arrival of a Savior who left heaven. Think about this, what Jesus is saying. This is the story of a God who left heaven and came to us and was not born in a palace. He was born in a forgotten outpost called Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Jesus is saying the Father ran to him. The Father runs to us and was filled with compassion. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Not the reception that the son expected. And the son said to him, he goes right into the rehearsed speech because he had plenty of time to practice this. And the father said, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father doesn't even respond to that. I want you to see this, okay? There's no debating here. There's no argument. There's no contentious conversation here. The father acts like he doesn't even hear the rehearsed speech. The father goes right past justice. He doesn't even blink at mercy. He goes straight to grace. No no hesitation in the father's mind about what his son was about to get. And he says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Now, I've lived in long enough in Texas. There's a barbecue about to break out here, right? I'm all for barbecue. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, listen to this. Remember the wrestling match, the son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard men. This is where we hear the words of God speaking life back into this son. With a loud voice and everyone listening, he says, For this son of mine is de- was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What the father gives back to his son is something that the father could only give his son. His identity. And that's why I'm talking to you this weekend about sons and daughters. The very question that you have to answer is this. Does God even know who you are? If you can answer that, yes, I think he does. There is a God in heaven and he knows who I am. Does he love you? Does he even know you? Does he even care about you? Yes. But is that love conditional? Does that love cost anything? Because if it, has, if it costs something for you to get his love, then it's conditional on your behavior and your performance. Well, that changes the whole nature of salvation, in my opinion. So I told you earlier that we have adopted both of our kids, and when we adopted them, we got them both at birth, brought them both home from the hospital, two separate adoptions. And Abram, our 18-year-old son, was the first one we adopted, and we brought him home. And when Abram and Callie were eight years old and six years old, uh, we had not told them that they were adopted yet. But someone uh, at church broke the news to them that they were adopted. Thank you very much, church people. <laughs> no, we love these people, um, sort of. And we like them a lot. And uh, 
they, so we had to sit down. I remember the Sunday evening. I'd been at church that day. Sunday evening. Around a little breakfast table in our, our living room. I, Pam and I sat down and told them the story of their adoption. It was beautiful. And we were prepared for all these questions and prepared for all this drama. And our kids looked at us and said, okay. Can we go back and watch the movie we were watching? So it was no drama. It's like it was really anticlimactic. So they, they got up and walked away, and Pam and I were the only ones crying. Like, oh, okay, that was very emotional for us <laughs> to confess that we had adopted you. Thank you for the, the trauma. But, you know, we had gotten some counseling for this, and some counselors said, hey, just pay attention to your kids. They may not have questions right away, but they will. And so for several months after that, we would just kind of wait and listen and try to hear if they were upset about it or had questions about it. And one night on another, another a Sunday night, months later, I'm putting Abram down to bed. He's eight years old, still wants me to come in and pray for him. You know, he's that young. So he's young enough for me to want to come in, lay hands on him. And I did it every night, prayed over him, blessed him, prayed for his day the next day. And, and so I was walking out of the room and I turned off the light and I was about to close the door. And I heard Abram say to me, he said, hey, dad. I said, yeah, Abram. He said, thanks for adopting me. Now, I'm sitting here in the room at this point, and the lights are off. And I just walked back over to his bed, and I, and I knew that this was a clue, a sign that he had been thinking about it. So with the light's still off, I just sat down next to his bed, and I said, well, Abram, you are very welcome. It's been, it gave your mom and I great joy to adopt you. You cannot believe how joyful that day was when the West Texas judge told us that you were ours forever and always. I told him a little bit more of the story. and he, I said, Abram, why, why, why did you ask that question? He said, well, Dad, I've been thinking for the last several weeks that if you had not adopted me, we would not be buddies and I said, well, Abram, we're going to be friends forever and always. I just prayed over him, and I walked out of my room, just a broken mess, you know. And I'm not a crier, but your kids have a way of getting to parts of your heart that no one else can get to, right? It's a lot like God that way. We have access to the Lord that plants and animals don't have, but we do. And I got out in the hallway and I said, Lord, I, I want to be a good dad to Abram. I want to really pay attention to Abram. And I want you to tell me tonight, by the help of your Holy Spirit, is there anything going on in Abram's heart that I need to know about, that I need to be aware of? And the Lord so clearly that night said something to me in the hallway that has changed my whole view of the Lord and has changed the way I walk with God it was one of the stories that I wrote in the book, Speak Life, because I've realized that night that God has the ability to speak life into us. His words are life, but so are ours. That's the incarnational thing that's happened in us as well. Our words also have the power of life and death, because his words have the power of life and death, and we're his children. Out in that hallway that night, I said, Lord, is there anything going on with Abram? Is he feeling anything that I need to be aware of. He goes, no, Brady, that was for you. As most of it is, right? It, that was for you. I said, what do you mean for me? He said, well, Brady, if I would not chosen to adopt you, we wouldn't be friends either. If 
But I made a choice to adopt you too. And because of that, I'm a, we're going to be friends forever and always. Forever and always. And here's the news I want to share with you. I came this weekend to share some good news with you. The Lord knows you. Let me answer the questions for you. The Lord does know who you are. You're not a mass of humanity. You're not some person that's been forgotten. So I want to answer the question. If you're struggling to answer the question, let me answer it for you. The Lord knows who you are. And He cares deeply about you. And He has already made up His mind before the creation of the world, the Scriptures say, to adopt you into His family. And this gives Him great pleasure to even think about it. He's chosen already to call you sons and daughters. And you may think because of your behavior and your actions that you deserve justice. The truth is we all deserve justice. And what we're all hoping for with God is some mercy along the way. But the good news of the gospel is not about justice and mercy. It's about grace. That's what makes this too good to be true, it seems. And here's the next step for all of us. We have to either believe that or not. We either have to believe it or not. That's the point of salvation. Salvation is not about what you can do for God. It's what you believe about God. Let me say that one more time. Salvation is not what you can do for God. Salvation is what you believe about God. This weekend, I'm going to give all of us another opportunity to believe this to be true about God. Jesus tells three different stories in Luke chapter 15 going to great lengths to try to convince us that this story is true about God. Three different stories. I just shared one of them with you. Read the other two in your own time in Luke 15. Jesus tells us story after story after story about a God who wants to call us sons and daughters. Would you let me pray for you this weekend? Would you, at every campus right now, I'm going to invite the campus pastors on the stage to come up right now because I want us to have this moment right now before the Lord. Everyone watching, all of you in the room, right where we're sitting, I want to ask you the question one more time. Do you think God knows who you are? Do you think he loves you? Do you think he loves you only when you're behaving, coming to church on the weekend and reading your Bible and volunteering at the Dream Center? Or do you believe that God has already chosen to adopt you as sons and daughters? Maybe this weekend is the first time you've ever heard that Jesus is that person. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And in fact, I would like all, every one of us, whether you follow the Lord for one month or 40 years, would you pray, if, if, if you are following the Lord like I am, would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Because it's good. It's good confession, by the way. The prayer I'm going to give you is good for our, all of our souls to pray it regularly. But there are some of you that have never prayed this prayer. And would you pray it with me today if you believe this to be true? Father in heaven, I am a sinner, but I believe you know me, you love me, and you have forgiven me. I choose this weekend Jesus as Lord of my life.
Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, and for adopting me into your family. I confess I cannot do this alone. I need the Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Set me into your family and help me follow Jesus all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. Around the room right now, can we just celebrate with people who who are praying that prayer for the very, very first time? If your life has been impacted through this ministry, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email to mystory@nextlevelchurch.com. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. Also, if you want to support what God is doing here, you can do so through our website, nextlevelchurch.com, and help us bring you more messages just like this one every single week. Your generosity is making an impact here and around the world. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.